Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey who just went flying down on his, as we would say, on the East Coast, took us, or behind is what a lot of people would call it, but the, the Jewish influence over here in the New York City metropolitan area, even though we're not really in a metropolitan area, but is took us. I went to, we got some snow to uh we got some snow not much but there was some ice in the driveway and they went out to uh check the mail to walk up the driveway and lo and behold phew, the idea of the law of physics of uh not having a coefficient of friction played out very very well and i went uh flying all covered with snow and what have you so uh banged my head in the back and uh so hey what are you gonna do that's life life in the winter time in the northeast you know about you know the years fly by sadly and they all blend into one and i think anybody who's listening who is older will will realize that and be nodding their head in agreeance when i was younger i didn't feel that way but uh so i don't know if it was six seven it wasn't 10 years ago so let's say six or seven years ago it was that two years in a row i fell in the chicken coop nine times slipped in the chicken coop on the ice and uh, i've said this before we have i have a pen for my girls it's a fenced in uh, it's 30 by 50 and then they have a couple of coops in there they have roots in there they have everything so uh, and i do shovel it for them when it snows and i put down wood shavings but it's a little bit of an angle there and i was i would those two winters subs back to back i fell i don't know six seven eight times in the same spot and my knee would go down onto a rock that was that's that's well it's it's in the soil <laughs> you can't get it out so uh it's by the size of a small car and just the tip of it is sticking out that's the hallmark of our farm here and I would fall in that same spot and would always be on my right knee. And subsequently, I walk like an old man. And a matter of fact, uh, it's, uh, I have no trouble going, going uh, upstairs, but, down, but downstairs, I have to uh, go one step at a time. Like I'm 90 years old ever since then. So I really have to get that knee looked at because those two winters really did me in. And then today... I uh, slipped again, but that was on my head. So my head is as hard as a rock, my wife says. So she just was concerned I didn't crack the concrete. But anyway, so that is that. And hopefully you're all doing well. And um, as I've said before, and obviously you would glean, is that I do record this show a couple of days ahead of time. And because it's not live, it's live when i'm doing it i guess but it posts on wednesday and i usually i used to do it monday or tuesday so it would be right so i'd be right up to date with everything to post on eight o'clock wednesday morning but now that i've gotten involved with the radio show on sirius xm is that i usually do uh the idle chatter podcast uh over the weekend and i'm actually doing this prior to the weekend i'm doing it on friday the friday before it will post on wednesday because we're supposed to uh get a snowstorm we had a little bit of snow this morning but according to the weatherman for whatever that is worth right uh we're either going to get two inches or two feet so i guess that's a that's the kind of job i want well you know it's either the crankshaft or it's the transmission just pay me so 
Uh, it's a coastal storm and it's supposed to be coming up the coast. So if it doesn't veer inland, then we're going to get the lower amount. And if it veers inland, then we're going to get about two feet. But if not, the people from out in Long Island and coastal New Jersey are going to get the two feet. So let, hopefully that no one gets it. Hopefully it goes out to sea and no one gets anywhere, anywhere near that much. So that is that. And then also I need to give a big shout out. A very, very big shout out. It's not a new pin in my map. No, uh, none of you guys gave me a pin this week. So uh, my map has is pinless for this week. But that's not your fault. You're busy. And if you want to put a pin in my map, it's hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. Just let me know. And then you will get in the drawing for the Hot Rod Farmer license plates, which I'll tell you about in a minute after I do my shout out. But I got to give a huge Cat Swamp Road shout out to Mr. Evan Scherzer and his fiancee, Katie. What I did is earlier this week, I went out to... Uh, I think it's Mount Joy, Pennsylvania. I really, I just know how to get there. And there's a dealer group called Mezix, and they opened up a brand new facility. They have three or four locations, and they had an older building there, an older building, and then they are selling that, and they built a brand new facility, 216,000 square feet. It's gorgeous. And they have an open house. And they always have the open house, even at the at the different at the different locations. And I've gone to that for many many years, and they have seminars, and what have you. And um, so I went to the open house for the new facility. And what I did was I ended up buying, uh, having made, I should say, a jacket and a vest. And the jacket and the vest has embroidered. An American-made, beautiful, beautiful jacket. Not because it's, it's, the name of the company is Polar Guard. It's made in USA, and I think it was only $113. And then I bought a vest, and the vest was made in USA from a different company, but from the same, uh, excuse me, distributor or whatever. It's called All Seasons Uniform, I think in Woodstock, Illinois. So I ordered, and then I had it embroidered. And I had the Farm Machinery Digest radio logo embroidered on the back, full back with the Sirius XM Channel 147 logo underneath it. And on the chest, I have the um, Farm Machinery Digest radio logo. And the reason why I did that is that uh, I want to be able to interact with you, my listeners, which I value and honor. But the whole problem is, is that no one knows what I look like and probably better off not knowing what I look like. But anyway, so, you know, you go someplace, and I want to be able to, if somebody, hap I'm not, I'm not, you know, I didn't buy these this jacket and this vest to be able to go, oh, look, I have a radio show. No, that, that is not why I did it. I did it in the hopes that somebody that listens to the radio show or a podcast introduces themselves. So it was the maiden voyage. I just got the vest, believe it or not, on Sunday, and Monday morning I wore it out to Mezix to the open house and lo and behold evan scherzer and his fiance comes up to me and says hello and it was a wonderful wonderful experience and i got to meet his fiance i got to meet her family and they're farmers and evan's a farmer and they're getting married june 18th and uh, they're a wonderful young couple and I am hoping, and he said yes, that I'm hoping that he and Katie said yes, that I'm going to have them on an upcoming episode of the On the Road podcast. 
So it's going to be on the road to Evan and Katie Scherzer, even though hopefully before we, she won't be a Scherzer yet, but she'll be a Scherzer, almost a Scherzer at that particular point. And Evan is in the tire business and he farms and he raises poultry and uh, just a great, great, great young couple and an inspiration to everyone. So I'm so blessed that Evan came up to me and if I didn't have that jacket, that vest on, he would not have come. So on the vest's maiden voyage, I had a number of people come up to me and introduce themselves and just tell me that they listened. And I'm very, very grateful for that because you are all my people and you and i i just love the idea of getting to to know you and i felt that it would be the most humble way for me to do it to just have something that says the name of the show on it and then if someone chooses to introduce themselves that's wonderful if they choose not to then that's that's fine also but uh otherwise i will never meet you guys and i want to meet you so much but that uh also if you live in that area uh, check out that new facility at Mezix Hads. It's gorgeous. And I spoke to the, uh, the, the owner, and we're going to hopefully, I'm going to be doing some classes there for the. Uh, so for the public, so some seminars there, so I will keep you abreast if that comes to fruition. And anybody that's not too far from that area could attend those classes, and they will be free. Alrighty, so that is that. And let me see what else I want to tell you. I, uh, I guess that's it. So we're going to get into the topic of today's show. I probably forgot to tell you something else, but the, oh, the license plates. I knew I forgot something. The license plate, Sue Moore uh, finalized the design, and it's going to have the hot rod tractor, the the, the hot rod farmer tractor on smoking the tires, and um, and it's just going to say, um, it's gonna, it's just going to say hot rod farmer podcast on the top and the website on the bottom. We made it very, very simple because you can't put too much on a license plate, right? And uh, I think it looks great. The people I sent it to liked it, uh, or so they said that they liked it. You know, I'm a straight shooter. If, something's, if you don't like something, you tell me, you say, this show stunk, right? That's that's fine, because, I mean, uh, I want it to be the best it could be. So, um, so we're doing that, and then I sent it out to the company that's supposed to make it, but they're not really the company that's going to make it. I think they were like a manufacturer's rep, and... I was kind of disappointed so far. They've had, they hounded me, and I'm saying this respectfully. They, I mean, let me back that up. They really didn't hound me. They were, they were good. They kept in contact with me because it's been going on since Thanksgiving. I said, I got to get together with my art director and we got to do this and that. And we finally got the files. And then I sent them the files. And then uh, I messed up because I forgot to tell Susan that there's got to be the slots for the screws. So anyways, we may have to just tweak that a little bit and shrink it. And then I got it from, and then four or five days later, they, um, nothing. So they originally gave, gave me a loose estimate based upon what the uh, one drawing was. So who knows? We'll see what happens. But hopefully they get uh, they can make this happen because I want it embossed. In the beginning, they said they could emboss it because I don't want a flat plate. If I don't have to do that, that doesn't really present that well. So we'll see what happens. But the license plates are coming, God willing. Uh, I don't know when, but they're coming. And so keep on, remember, just keep on sending me those emails and tell me where you listen from, and I will put you in the, not only a pin in my map, but I'll put you in the drawing for a hot rod farmer license plate and as i said before or in previous episodes is that 
Just because you win that, don't win that week doesn't mean you're out of drawing. I'm putting all the names in a box and going to keep pulling out two names a week. So it doesn't. So you could win six weeks, six months after you contact me. So or you could win right the next week. But it's not where if you didn't win that week, it doesn't mean that you're out. So by no means, nobody is out of the game. So let me see what else. Uh, like I said, basically, I told you everything right 12 minutes into the show. I also want to apologize because I've been back to going long on the show and maybe I'm rambling too much and babbling. So I apologize. I'm going to try to keep it just about an hour, an hour and a couple of minutes. I think last week's show went for an hour and 14 minutes. So I don't want to take too much of your time and I don't want to just ramble on and and bore you. So I apologize for those past couple of shows that have been going long. Well, what today's show is going to be about 12, almost 13 minutes into it, because my soundboard, my recording equipment has a clock, has a timer on it. That's why I know how long it is. But I am going to um, talk about the differences between the, the differences between steady state and transient operation engines. And um, there's not that many differences. I mean, you can't look at an engine and go, that's a steady state engine, that's a transient operation engine. But you could take an engine, for instance, let's say like a V10 Ford Triton engine, which was an excellent engine. I mean, and uh, they were in vans, they were in pickup trucks, they were in uh, larger trucks, like medium-duty trucks, like F650s and 750s. I don't know if the 750 had it, but I know the 650 you could get it. And also, they were on irrigation pumps, and they were in different industrial applications. So uh, so you could take an engine like that, and there's differences between a steady-state engine and a transient operation engine. And what a transient operation engine is identified or defined as is the better word, is an engine that has to operate at different speeds and loads. Where if you take, let's say, an irrigation pump, using that as an example, and you put an engine on there, it's basically going to have one fixed load on it and one RPM range for the most part, and it's going to lock in and run at that. And probably the best best uh, example of a steady-state engine is a little lawnmower engine because they're designed to run like 3,600 RPM. And that's, I mean, they'll run below that. They're usually governed to that. And, you know, they tell you always cut a wide open throttle and they're always running at that one steady-state RPM. So we're going to discuss that today because there are some differences in the design of the engine to make it steady-state or to make it a transient operation. Transient means that it's going to operate at different... Uh, it has to operate efficiently at different loads and RPMs and throttle angles. So a, a road vehicle is a transient operation engine, whereas a farm tractor is, but it's like more towards steady state. I mean, it'll transient, but it's more geared towards steady state. So I'm going to get into that and explain that to you. And one of the reasons why I'm doing it, because I want to get into some other topics and I've gotten, and I've gotten feedback from listeners and uh, and evan was one of them and said that the people are really enjoying the out of the box more in-depth like like look at something that you wouldn't normally look at maybe you can't really associate that and say it's teaching you how to fix this but it's teaching you how to understand something and if you understand it you could fix it so um so we're going to be doing those and we've done the, i've done those type of shows in the past but we're going to do a little bit a little bit more often maybe and this is going to be one of them so hopefully you do enjoy it and if you don't like it like i said just let me know and uh and you'll know, give me you know whatever and i will uh 
do my best to steer the show to 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 my audience but you know i always like to start with a story so i'm going to start with a little bit of a story here and for many years i you know i got involved with building race engines and drag race engines and street strip engines what have you and i was pretty big at the time in the buick grand national community for lack of better words we call it community and i worked at a lot of grand nationals and 20th anniversary turbo trans ams which they made only 1500 of them but i think i had 11 of them in my shop at one time and they were a trans am with a buick grand national engine with different cylinder heads and the only reason why they had different cylinder heads they had the 3800 buick heads is because they couldn't fit the uh because where the heater box came under the hood of the third generation firebirds but anyway so there were a number of people number of people throughout the community throughout the country that did grand nationals and specialized in them and i was only one of them um and there was actually a number of them here in new jersey and the pennsylvania area and i think there was a guy out in long island but anyway so but the, the, there was this one gentleman and he he passed away I, I from what i from what i know he passed away about 10 years ago and he wasn't that old i don't know if he got cancer or something so out of respect to him i won't use his name and um respect to his family not that they would listen to this show but you never know who's listening and there's there's, there's no need to bring his name into this and uh, he he had a shop <clears throat> And there's a, there was or slash is a drag strip down in South Jersey called Atco, A-T-C-O. And his shop was right on the road to Atco, maybe a quarter of a mile away from Atco. And uh, he was a drag racer. He was a street racer. And he was a good drag racer. And he, he had this Buick. Well, we had, we had, of course, he had a Buick. He worked on Grand National. He had this Grand National. And he had the car painted white. Because, you know, Grand National were only black. And he had the car painted white. And it was a real race car. And the thing was dropped. I mean, he had a gorgeous paint job. I mean, it wasn't Mickey Mouse. I mean, it was a color change. It may not have even been a Grand National. It may have been a Regal that he just put everything on it. But he had it. It was white. And uh, had the Grand National hood, uh, everything on it. So the car was gorgeous. It was probably a T-type, to be quite honest with you. But he... Uh, but anyway that's not the point the car was drop dead gorgeous had, had no it was a grand had grand national interior because they had set different seats it wasn't a t-type was a t-type interior was different but anyway the car was drop dead gorgeous and the thing ran he had one of the quickest ones in the country and because he was a street racer he would cheat and that's why i want to mention his name and uh, god rest his soul and uh, he would cheat and because street racers cheat right you can never believe what a street racer tells you so it's like a, uh so anyway so he had this car and he he used this car to, to generate a lot of business for his shop and there's no denying it, it really ran but the thing that i'm getting at <clears throat> is that the car would go into the burnout box to heat up the tires and it would go into the, it was and it would run fairly fairly good in the burnout box it would, and uh it would run okay in a burnout box but it didn't sound that great then it would go up he had a trans brake in it and uh the thing would go up on a trans brake and it would be it didn't have a two-step on it so um back then they would it would go they, they you would just load it till it till the converter would stop stalling 
All right, so uh, it wasn't like you have a lot of drag cars, they were a two-step on it, and then when they released the trans brake, the two-step comes off and the motor flares up in RPMs. So anyway, but this thing sounded terrible in the, up on the, in, actually sounded terrible in the burnout box also, if I remember now. And when it, it sounded, terrible, terrible. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, then it would go up on a trans brake, and it would, for those who are on drag racers, I should just take a minute and tell you, what a trans brake is, it's a button that you press, it's a special valve body in the transmission, when you evoke this button, it holds the transmission in first and reverse. So it's first and reverse to, to, to hold the car on the line so it doesn't go and roll forward and break the beam, and then you, what they call red light, if you're not a drag racer. So, uh, so you go up on a trans brake, and the thing is that, and, and that's why a lot of these a lot of these drag cars leave with the wheels in the air because when the trans brake lets go, the thing's got all the power there. But anyway, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent. So it's up on a trans brake, and the thing is, I mean, it sounded terrible. I mean, oh my God, you think the thing was gonna <clears throat> that two spark plug wires crossed? And then he would release the trans brake. And this thing would just fly. And it went from boom, bam, 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 to and it just went, it just cleaned out. <clears throat> it cleaned out immediately, which always, and I can never understand why it was so crappy, in, and especially in the burnout box. And in the burnout box, it sounded terrible. And the thing is that, uh, but it would run, it would run like stink. I mean, it's beautiful. It would, it would come from making all of this farty sounds and bucking and back. I don't want to say backfiring to just just making a pass sound like a like a like a a a, uh, a jet fighter taking off. But the thing why I'm bringing that up is that <clears throat> what probably happened in that particular instance is that the calibration where it <clears throat> where it was in. The, 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 based upon the load of the boost coming up on the trans brake, the throttle angle, the RPM, all those dynamics, that he could not get the calibration tuned right there. And one of the things with a drag engine, he said, what does that have to do with transient engines? Well, I'm going to explain to you. One of the things about a drag engine is that the hallmark of a well-tuned drag engine or any engine is that it does nothing wrong. And why I'm referencing a drag race engine is because Basically, a drag race engine just is almost like a steady state engine. It really has to just run the best wide open throttle, because if it's a, if it's a manual transmission, they don't lift the throttle when they shift. And if it's automatic, obviously you don't lift the throttle when you shift. And on and so the thing is that it really is designed to 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 run the best wide open throttle. But the hallmark of a really good tune, whether it's carburetor, fuel injected, is that you take this this steady state engine wide open throttle engine right drag engine and you get it to start easily drive through the pits nicely smoothly go into the burnout box to heat up the tires go on the trans brake and be nice and clean until it hits the two-step and then it's going to be killing cylinders so that's why it sounds farty and but that is the hallmark of what a good calibration is now when you look at a <clears throat> a transient engine versus a steady state engine getting away from drag racing now and getting back to the farm is that a a, <clears throat> a transient operation engine is a jack of all trades and a master of none because all of the dynamics of that engine 
are based upon being able to run well under different load conditions and different RPM conditions, while a steady state engine is all the efforts are designed to run perfectly the best it can under this one state, and they're not really concerned with the the rpm or the load as it gets up to that they're concerned but they're not overly concerned just like this guy wasn't so concerned with how the, his grand national his buick sounded in the burnout box as long as it went a to b perfectly all right and which it did so when you look at what is the so what is the engineering that is going to be different in the beginning of the show i spoke about let's say like that ford triton v10 which could be used in a transient operation or a steady state operation and the thing is that when you have a transient operation engine then all of as i'm, I'm repeating it all of the dynamics of the engine are compromised and they're compromised because you have to have it operated idle you have to operate it at this rpm this load you have to operate it with the throttle matted whether it's a hand throttle or whether it's a, a vehicle and you're putting the gas pedal to the floor or what have you so it has to do everything good but nothing perfect and the whole idea as an engineer you're going to try to get every area as perfect as possible that's why anybody who's in the like it was in the trucking business or a trucker or what have you or in the in the maritime industry let's say like a towboat or a fishing boat or something is that specifically like well I'll use a truck because it's easier to uh to make a, an analogy for is that if you really want to spec a truck i'm not meaning like a semi not a pickup truck if you really want to spec a truck out is that you gear it you put the tire size on it and you do everything with the engine to run a certain rpm so even though that is a so if you have this thing and a lot of fleets will do this because they'll have the truck governed to whatever 72 miles an hour or 75 miles an hour whatever it is you can't go any faster than that and the thing is that that gives them the opportunity not the trucking company but the builder of the truck to to choose the gearing choose the transmission gearing choose everything so that the engine is the most efficient at that speed and if you add it to the floor it's not going to go any faster since it's governed all right to that speed and so the thing is that what what happens is that on a steady state engine of any type whether it's a briggs and stratton or on a lawnmower tecumseh on a snowblower or what have you a engine on a seed tender is that just like you'll have a pto you have pto operated equipment and for the most part most of them are designed to operate the most efficiently at 540 pto rpm so if you have a mower you have a anything that's designed to run will it run below 540 and above 540 yes but it's the most efficient at 540 rpm and the same thing happens with a steady state engine so what they actually do so let's use that ford engine as an example but what they'll actually do is they'll design the cam profile they may design on an old on that they may on an older engine that's carbureted they would design the carburetor the cfm of the carburetor the, the the metering circuits of the carburetor and they would design everything around having the optimum efficiency at a given rpm whereas on a transient engine you cannot do that 
So on a transient engine, you are going to try to get, as I said, so you can't have an optimized camshaft profile. You can't have an optimized intake manifold design. If you look at a steady state engine, that the intake manifold design, the cross section of the runners, the size of the plenum and the length of the runners are going to be designed for maximum efficiency at, let's say, 3,600 RPM. I'm going to choose that number all right at 3600 rpm whereas you take that same engine and you put it in a in a pickup truck well it's going to have a different camshaft it may have a different intake manifold all right it would have a different carburetor on it, an older carbureted engine it would probably maybe even have a different exhaust manifold on it so what i want you to understand here is that the design criteria is based upon making that engine efficiently. And the, the, the spark advance curve, which is very, very, very important on every engine, on every and on, on every spark ignition engine, right? Gasoline or propane or natural gas engine that has spark that has spark ignition, is that the spark advance curve is going to be designed to be optimized for that. So if you were to look at it, and, and I'm going to go backwards to an older carbureted engine when distributed because it's more fundamental and it's visual. You could see the distributor, you could see the carburetor, you could see the have mechanical advance weights, the centrifugal weights in the distributor and the vacuum advance. All of that same dynamics happens with a fuel injected engine. It's, it's happening electronically. You can't see it. All right, so that's why I'm going to reference off of a, of, of a carbureted engine with a distributor, is that the the timing, the advance curve, and you, you keep in mind that in any gasoline engine, the reason why you, the engine needs to, the ignition system needs a head start is because the piston moves faster in the bore than the flame expands across the bore some people use the word travel and i've used that also travel so you need to give it a, you need to give it a head start and there's something called lpp on a, well whether it's a brand new 2022 chevy ls or ford coyote or a 1919 model a ford or it makes it makes no difference or old oliver tractor like we had a row crop 70 with a uh, continental engine there's something called lpp which is the location of peak pressure and as a engineer and when you're designing and tuning an engine is that you need to identify and the spark advance curve is going to be paramount in this is the locate the lpp the location of peak pressure and for 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 the most part the industry has and what it means by location of peak pressure be probably a good idea if i explain that to you is the crank angle degrees after top dead center not before top dead center because after top dead center that the peak cylinder pressure occurred now this is not to be confused with combustion with compression ratio this is the cylinder pressure from the expansion of this of the flame in the bore and a diesel engine has an lpp also and because the lpp is a flatter curve that is why a diesel engine is able to make more torque because it's still going to be injecting the fuel and fle- feeding that that expansion of the flame whereas a gasoline engine be it carbureted or be it in fuel injected is going to give it a shot of fuel and that's it baby that's all it's getting so the the lpp the location of peak pressure 
on a gasoline engine is is a, is a spike. All right, it, come, it comes up to it. All right, but it's not it's not as much air you're under the curve as it would be if you plot it as a diesel. But anyway, so now that I confused you, is that for the most part the industry has found that about 14 degrees after top dead center some people say 16 some say 12 so we'll take an average of 14 so the spark advance curve is going to be designed and the 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 total timing to give the highest lpp at around 14 degrees after top that sent them. Now, this is not to be confused with 14 degrees of advance in the distributor. We're not talking about talking about where in peak, where in crank angle rotational degrees will LPP occur, location of peak pressure. So when there's a lot of dynamics that come with that, it is the spark advance, but it also has to do with the volumetric efficiency, which is how much the cylinder is filled. So when you have a steady state engine, and we'll get back to that Briggs and Stratton engine, all right, that lawnmower engine, you know, when you, when you get that, the intake manifold length, the, the cross section of it, and the uh, camshaft valve events and the ignition timing, the rate of advance through the magneto, it has a rate of advance, is going to be all designed for that engine to have the LPP, location of peak pressure, because it's not just a dynamic of spark advance, it's a dynamic of cylinder filling and spark advance to happen at that given point. And that given point will then equate to, on those engines, around 3,600 RPM. So when you have any, it could be on an irrigation pump, like I said, it could be whatever. When you look at an industrial engine application, why you, and they use the word industrial, that's an agricultural engine also, is that it's designed to operate the most efficient, efficiently at that particular RPM. Now, if you go <clears throat> and you have a transient operation engine, you're still looking for the LPP to be at that particular point, but just like that Grand National going into the burnout box due to the load conditions, due to the airflow to boost all the dynamics, is that the LPP could not be achieved, the location of peak pressure and that cylinder pressure from the expansion of the flame, I'm repeating it, could not be achieved at the right spot in the crank angle, and then ultimately the engine does not make the most chemical to mechanical energy exchange and then also can sound poppy and this and that and if and you know and i'll use the word not political farty i think so and if you even notice that if you were to take in what i like to reference a lawnmower uh, is that because every almost everybody has exp everybody who's listening to this show has experience with that and you'll notice and and then lots of times even the newer ones they'll they'll almost have a detent in the throttle it's you can't really go part throttle to either idle or wide open throttle but if you could go if you notice if you're not running at wide open throttle the exhaust always sounds the nicest if you're running at three quarters throttle a half throttle sometimes they don't sound as good all right that's because the spark advance curve the carburetor jetting the size of the venturi in the carburetor all right the uh the circuits in the carburetor the intake manifold runner length, the cross-section of the manifold is very inefficient at, let's say, 2,500 RPM. When it, at 3,600 RPM, boom, it's right there. Same thing like with a chainsaw, all right? And, or any one of those engines that are meant to run at 
and, and I'm repeating it doesn't mean it cannot run. It's not the sweet spot. Whereas when you take a engine in a car or a truck, it needs to have a, a balanced response or as balanced as it could get. And that is why you will also, and well, two things. Number one, that is why modern gasoline engines, all right, have variable intake manifold runners, variable cam timing, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to switch all of this around to try to make the engine to be almost like a steady state engine, but at all different RPM ranges. So that we have the calibration tuned for 2000 RPM, 2,500, 3000, 4000, 5000, what have you. All right, so we have it by changing the cam phase. And that's one of the reasons why they went to multiple camshafts, because if you have a single cam, which is, for instance, like the uh, new, which is an excellent engine, the new Ford, uh, what they call Godzilla 7.3 gas, that's got a single cam. It's not overhead cam. That makes any difference. It's a you know, cam in block. And so, when that yes, it has a cam phase, but when you have a single cam, when you change the phase of the intake lobe, you're twisting the whole cam core. So you're changing the phase of the exhaust lobe. Whereas if you have multiple cams, you have an intake cam and an exhaust cam, whether it's a V-shaped engine, have four cams for each, you know, two on each bank or an inline engine, like most farm tractors have an inline engine, agricultural engines, I don't know of a V8 anymore. And, uh, and so you could change the intake cam without changing the exhaust cam. And if you look at a lot of tier four diesels, that's what they're doing. They're changing the cam phases independently of one another and what that's doing and also a variable runner intake manifold. I know you look at the Ford uh, uh, 6.7 power stroke and I'm pretty sure the new Duramax, I don't know about the Cummins, is that they'll change the runner length on them. And that's all because what they're trying to do is they're trying to mimic the steady state engine, the, the, the efficiency of a steady state engine, but at in multiple RPM ranges, but they cannot do that without changing the runner length, the cam profile. I don't have to worry about a carburetor or, or a distributor because it's a diesel, but if you get back to the gasoline side of the aisle, that's what they're ended up doing. That's what they end up doing. And but what makes this happen, I shouldn't make that, that's some sentence, what makes this happen. What basically happens is that those engines on the gasoline side back now are very, very unforgiving of uh, something that goes wrong. And what I mean by something that goes wrong, valve deposits, injector, in, in uh, poor injector spray patterns, uh, carbon under pistons, uh, intake manifold runners that get gummed up with the EGR in it because they're so finely tuned. When you bring something to that finely tuned level, it is going to, uh, it's going to have, it's like a pedigree, a, a pedigree dog. I, I love animals, so I won't make that analogy. When, and I've shared this story with you before, so if you heard, when we built our house here, Charlotte and I built our house on the farm, all right, did we have a, a farmer neighbor, well, country neighbor, six or seven miles away, God rest his soul, he passed away, and they used to be vegetables growers, and they became uh, sod farmers, and their name is Tracy, and I know that 
the son Eddie Tracy listens to my radio show. I don't think he listens to the podcast, but anyway. So uh, salt of the earth family. The father was also the road man, and uh, they had a beautiful operation. They they went from from vegetables to sod. But so anyway, and my nickname is Butchie because my dad's name is Ray. So around the farm, around here, everybody knows me as Butch. My family knows as Butch. If you say Ray, they they think I'm my dad. But anyway, so. When I was built, when Shaw and I were building our house on the farm here, which was a modular, they had to put in a lawn. So I said to, so I said to, so I said to Eddie, because he sold sod, so they put in sod. He says to me, but you don't put sod in. He says, we sell a lot of sod. He used to make love to the sod. It was a fantastic sod. He said, it's too much of a pain in the neck. He said, it's like a toupee. I said, it's, he said, the reason why we sell a lot of sod in New Jersey is because the builder wants to get a certificate of occupancy for the house. And you can't get a certificate of occupancy to sell a house in New Jersey unless you have a lawn in there. So the grass, seed, they don't cover it. They don't count that. So anyway, so what happened is they says, Butchie, you got a farm. I remember him telling me, right on Cat Swamp Road, you got a farm. He says, you want a farmhouse lawn. You don't want a pedigree lawn. He says, you want to be able to drive on them with the tractor. You want to be able to pull a truck over there if you have to. You want to be able to do, he says, you want a farmhouse lawn. He says, in a farmhouse lawn, he says, I'll give you some seed, some like contractors mix. He said, let the weeds grow in it. You keep it mowed, fertilize it. He says, you'll have clover in there. You'll have everything. He says, you'll ride by and you'll look at it. It'll look, keep it mowed. It'll look beautiful. He says, but you want a farmhouse lawn because a farmhouse lawn is tough. All right, he says that you get a you get a you get a a, a, a high not a hybrid a, a, a pedigree lawn. He says you're gonna walk on it, it's gonna want to die. So the same thing is basically Allie's over here. No Allie, Allie, what are you doing? And uh, no Allie, she's something's flying around. Don't hit that Allie. So I'm holding my microphone. But anyway, so um, same thing happens when you get these engines these modern gasoline and diesel engines that are trying to have to be to have a transient operation with the efficiency of a steady state engine every rpm load is they become very very finicky and very very particular to maintenance to things that you may not even think of to egr passages being slightly gummed up to being uh, uh like i said carbon deposits on valves and on piston crowns uh the cleanliness of the injector the spray pattern of the injector uh maybe a possible slight intake manifold gasket leak so what so the, the thing that i'm trying to tell you in the part 40 minutes into the show is that when you have a, a, a be it either a steady state or a transient engine that the things that make it that all right or what you for the most part cannot see but keep in mind that if you were to have a problem with that you have to and what i mean a problem is that a, that it doesn't run right or it has an issue that you need to be able to think and say is this a steady state engine so arguably let's say you have and I'm going back to the carbureted engine because it's easier to, like I said, for you to visualize carburetor and distributor. And you have this engine on a irrigation pump. I'll use that. And because it's it's designed to run whatever, 3,600 RPM, I'm using that. And then one of the weights in the distributor 
become lazy or the spring sticks or the spring breaks or so that's too much advance, too little advance, you'll probably see a, a greater level of degradation in the way that engine runs, its operations, the sound of an exhaust. And you always want to listen to any engine, gasoline or diesel, you want to listen to the sound of ex- the exhaust because that is going to be a the canary in the coal mine for the combustion event. Or if they sounded of the exhaust, and that's why I told you that story about about that Buell going into the burnout box and sounded terrible, but then it pulled beautifully. So you, so if you have a steady state engine, it's not going to be as forgiving of of the timing skewing or the distributor wearing or the carburetor skewing a little bit because that was so optimized for that RPM. Whereas you could get a transient engine that has the same condition happen to it, right? Either the carburetor or the fuel injectors are dirty or what have you. And then what you'll probably find is that it will drive through that that mobbly point, that point where it has a problem. And it may never even reach that point because let's say if, if it has to run 4,500 RPM and you never see above 3,000 RPM or 2,500 RPM, then you never got there. Or you may say you're pulling away from a traffic light or you're pulling a trailer, right? And you're pulling away from a traffic light in town or a stop sign. And then, you know, it, it, it kind of bucks a little bit or, or, or does something because it starts, the skew the injectors are dirty the valves are dirty all right uh the um the the oxygen sensor is running is starting to skew but then you go 100 feet out or 50 feet out a little bit more throttling and it drives through it whereas on a on a steady state engine you don't have the ability to drive through it because if you have a lawnmower getting back to that and you're cutting it wide open throttle you have a snow blower you're blowing snow and why it's designed to run a wide open throttle that if that skews there, then that thing is really going to have a degradation in the way it operates. So that is the purpose of today's show, is to, to just introduce you to the concept of a steady state versus a transient engine. And the steady state engine will most likely, if something goes off kilter a little bit, have a greater impact on the way it operates than a transient engine would when it has something skewed because you'll find one rpm one load where it likes it all right so the thing is that we're a steady state you will not find that so if you have any questions or anything about that but you know think about that even like look at your chainsaw look at your weed whacker look at your uh if you have a transfer pump engine all right the thing is that it's going to be very critical for you to really keep that tuned uh because it has to run in that one rpm range and it's everything is so optimized and that's why i brought up the story about a drag engine because a drag engine has to be so optimized because the, it's all over in a few seconds it's not 500 miles like a, like the like like the indy 500 or daytona 500 i'm ali ali came over here and she's on she's sitting on my toolbox test which isn't too good ali i'm sorry so uh that's ali a little alligator so if you have any questions on that please feel free to reach out to me but it's important like i said for you to re- to recognize steady state versus transient all right so the thing is that hey you uh, charlotte and i would never charlotte has had a, a a thousand kids as a kindergarten teacher but we never had any children of our own and charlotte will say oh, you know time and time again she'll have a different problem with the boys in the classroom than she will have with the girls 
right so the thing is that there'll be different behavioral issues with the boys than with the girls and that's just a fact of life and i'm not politically correct and i don't give a damn there's a difference between men and boys and boys and girls all right and she said you know this will happen with girls this will happen with boys what bothers boys in the classroom doesn't bother girls and vice versa so the thing is that says you never have a boy say in the classroom oh she insulted me she doesn't like my dress or whatever it may be and then the boys will fight over something else so the thing is that the same thing is that i just want you to be aware because on the farm and specifically and i need to just touch on this briefly is that if you look at an engine in a combine in a farm tractor in a sprayer like i said it's really not steady state but it's geared more and i don't mean gear physical gearing in the transmission but it's designed more for a steady state use and tuning than it would be for a, a the same engine in a road vehicle let's say like a peterbilt going down the road or if you had a uh, you know a cummins engine a cummins uh we used to call them b6s i don't know what they call them now the inline six cylinder 24 valve all right if you that's i believe that they use those in apache sprayers and some other sprayers and they use it in a ram pickup truck so that even though it's the same basic architecture that the calibration the tuning of that oftentimes is very very different and then it'll it'll respond differently so without belaboring this and babbling you know think about it is that the steady state engine you have the way to to drive through it and, the, the, and when i say by driving through it meaning you you by load and rpm you're able to to uh get away from that state where it's running as we say in engineering misbehavior that doesn't mean you leave it like that that's a diagnostic protocol that's what i'm telling you so if somebody contacts me and i'll say to them well can you drive through it so you know all right happens at 20 miles per hour what happens at 40 off oh, it's 40 i tap the throttle runs beautifully so you know if you go with a steady state engine and it's going to run 3600 rpm you can't tell me how it's running that irrigation pump at 1400 rpm because it's not it's either idling or 3600 rpm and like i said i'm using that as an example maybe your irrigation pump or your weld or your transfer pump has more of a a, a manure pump right on a, on, a, on a manure boat or something but whatever but i just want to set that up for that you have to think differently because it is steady state and then on a on a transient application you have to think can i drive through it and if you could drive through it that doesn't mean as i said you forget about it and say how the hell would it i'll just drive through it no that's a that's a diagnostic protocol all right so if you have any questions please feel free to reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and now we're going to bring tex rubinowitz in from ripsaw records and little alley the alligator is here come on in tex let it rip baby all righty tex thank you so much all right ali's being very very good she's sitting right here <clears throat> and usually uh she's getting older so she's being a good girl but i'm gonna have to clear my throat i'm sorry <clears throat> okay here's our toolbox test you have a small utility tractor with a bucket and blade that is used to push snow around the farm in the winter and for some odd jobs the rest of the year 
It is about 20 years old and has just under 4,000 hours. You got a good snow dump, so you fired it up to start the cleanup and it runs fine, but the hydraulic pump is whining. The fluid level is, is good, is fine, and it looks pretty clean. That's the fluid level. It is not that it's not that cold out. It's around twenty-five Fahrenheit degrees for my listeners in in uh, metric world. It took about twenty minutes for the system to quiet down, but during that time, the hydraulics seemed to be okay. The sound is key to engine RPM. The higher the engine speed, the louder the whine. Uh, the louder whine. You ask some friends, and this is what they say. Farmer A says that the pump is cavitating, most likely due to moisture in the fluid. Farmer B believes that the control valve is the issue. Farmer C says that the hydraulic cylinder is bypassing fluid. And Farmer D thinks it is the alternator and not the hydraulics. So basically, you think about that. So you start up this tractor and you use it. And now, that's the paper for my... uh, toolbox test here make a noise and now the pump is whining and it's not that cold out about 25 degrees and it takes a while to get some heat and it stops whining all right so what do you think about that but now we're going to have our special delivery letter my name is harry and i listen to your show up in alaska wow that's great harry thank you so i guess you you didn't tell me if your town harry but i'll just put a pin in the map for alaska i know i have a couple of listeners up there with pins already i'll put another pin and i'll put harry you put your name on it and get you in a drawing for that license plate but anyway we have a small dairy farm and i also drive a milk tanker it is a new mac and i love it yeah those new macs are beautiful i think the new one is pinnacle I think that's what they usually use with the milk tankers. Maybe wrong. But anyway, my question being, I had seen on the news that John Deere had a tractor on display at the CES, and that's the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, that is now available. It is it is autonomous. What are your thoughts about self-driving tractors? Well, Harry, I want to thank you so much for listening from Alaska. That is wonderful. I greatly appreciate that. And I want to thank you for your letter. Uh, I've done some shows about autonomous tractors and autonomous vehicles, and but specifically tractors. And I know the tractor you're talking about. I think it's an 8R. And I've seen some stuff on it. And on my other show, the radio show, I'm doing these new, uh, doing about 12 a year called Getting to Know, and I'm hoping to get somebody from John Deere on that show to do an episode with me because I'm going to ask him the tough questions. And the thing is that I was aware that that tractor was at the CES, and I never denied to answer your question succinctly. I never designed, I never denied that the technology does not exist to have an autonomous tractor or an autonomous car. Never, never question that because how can I question when you could see it right in front of you, all right? The thing that I do question is that the ability for the tractor in this particular sense, instance to make the proper decisions. I know in this particular instance, John Deere bought a robotic company and they're basically saying that there's you know, all these cameras all over them and they have you know, uh, all these design protocols, and I understand that and I accept that. My concern is twofold. Number one is that you could never have enough protocols or mapping 
to identify every possible scenario. And yes, a car going down the road is going to have a million times more scenarios than a tractor going through a field. But what nobody talks about, so I'm going to, so I'll take for face value. You have the greatest cameras in the world. You have the greatest control logics in the world. You thought of everything under the sun. With that case, a, a mouse runs in front of it. It's going to stop and it's going to do all this fine, wonderful. All right. So I'm going to give John Deere and the rest of the autonomous tractor world the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that. What no one is talking about, and that's why I'm hoping to get somebody from this autonomous world on my radio show and ask them the tough questions and this is what my concern is what happens when a diode goes bad in the alternator and you're feeding all of this delicate electronics on rectified ac what happens when a wire a, a major ground circuit gets slightly corroded and has a high impedance ground and now is feeding electrons back into some other circuit to find the ground path what happens when that mouse i just said that your camera could detect the mouse and stop the tractor i'm not being ridiculous well when that mouse goes in there and eats a wire and doesn't eat it all the way through but eats just some of the insulation off of it so that it's touching ground all right and get some corrosion in there what happens i mean what happens when the wires get old and they start to dry out and they get whacked with emi electromotive interference so this is these are the questions that my concerns with autonomy yes you could get it to work in front you go to a farm show look the thing is driving by itself and the other thing that comes into play from my way of thinking is that how much is this track and they're saying well you can look at the farmer could look at it on their cell phone their device and see what's going on at that particular point you might as well be an attractor right and the thing is that the other thing that comes into play is that let's say it never breaks nothing ever happens how much additional cost is this going to add into the price of the tractor all right we don't have any numbers there so the thing is that so people say that there's a manpower shortage is this and that and i understand all that but as a farmer and i'm a small farmer but there's a lot of big farmers that are running a lot of acres tens of thousands of acres that listen to this show and the thing is that you're getting that land planted now you're getting the crop planted now all right so if this tractor arguably is going to cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars more maybe it's ten thousand dollars i don't know but the price point is going to be very imperative to it because you have to now say let's use two hundred thousand dollars so you have a six hundred thousand dollar tractor that you're adding a cost of two hundred thousand dollars to all right to so that it could drive by itself and then you have to sit and monitor it with with just with a device a cell phone ipad computer or what have you you know i'm sure if you were to take that two hundred thousand dollars and say to somebody i'm gonna that if you said i'm gonna get a good tractor operator so for during the planting season i'm gonna give him twenty thousand dollars to run this tractor uh, two guys ten thousand dollars a piece to run this tractor for two weeks during planting all right it would take you 10 years to pay to pay two hundred thousand dollars in salary and you know nobody could tell me <clears throat> that you know you throw enough money at the table on the table you're going to get a lot of great people so the thing basically is so i don't know there's a lot of 
there's a lot of unanswered questions there and everybody who does an interview and every article i've seen does not do not answer those questions whatsoever they just talk about that they have cameras ali knocked my toolbox test over on the ground so i'm going to go away from the mic for a second and look for it okay okay i got it. thank you so those are my thoughts sir about it and if i get some if i get john deere on my radio show i will tell you about it and then you could go to my website farmmachinerydigest.com and then you could listen to that episode there all right so now we have this tractor this utility tractor and the pump is whining and didn't whine last year so farmer a has the most likely cause Though there are many reasons why a pump can cavitate, since it did not do that last year, most likely the fluid wicked in moisture and condensation formed from heating and cooling. A good place to start would be with new fluid and filter from the OEM. All right? So you want the right fluid, you want a good fluid and a good filter, all right? The best thing always is to use the factory parts and factory oil and then go from there. So keep in mind that on an application like that, that that if the fluid wicks in moisture, it's going to affect the way it, it dynamics of the way it works and goes through the pump in the system, all right? And specifically when it's cold and then when it starts to heat up, it's going to have a different flow characteristic and and it's going to not cavitate. But whenever you have a hydraulic pump that's whining, that's talking to you, it's cavitating, whether it's even a power steering pump on a car or a pickup truck, it's cavitating. If it's an electric fuel pump and you, you have it in your pickup truck in your wife's car and you, and you hear make a noise that it's cavitating all right and there's it could be cavitating because it's being flow restricted which is what's basically happening in this tractor is that the flow so it could be suction side cavitation or pressure side cavitation but ultimately when a pump talks to you when it talks to you then it is undergoing cavitation and it's actually destroying itself albeit very slowly but destroying itself so i want to thank you so much for tuning in today and i just want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day stay warm and i will god willing catch you next week and hopefully i don't fall before i do the show bye bye